Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Dave Rowland coming up in about uh, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Uh, victory, California uh, rules, uh, court rules, California regulations on end-of-life uh, uh, doulas violate First Amendment economic liberty uh, rights. Uh, we'll, we'll get into all that. Federal court is going to decide if it's constitutional for journalists to ask questions. I know that sounds like a bizarre uh, uh, topic, but it is true. It, it really is amazing uh, what the government will do, what politicians will do. Um, and then uh, an opinion piece, Alec Baldwin uh, and his, uh, his legal troubles. On the uh, tanks and Ukraine... And then uh, somebody who has apparently got a wrong number here. We'll, we'll find out what that's about in a minute. Chuck, good morning. How are you? Pretty good. You know, uh, this tank thing is a little bit more potentially sketchy than you might think. I mean, to start with, what they tell us in the beginning, uh, you know, they're so limited on uh, what they would do to respond. And... Uh, since then, it's been, what, Stinger missiles, uh, now tanks. Um, I fully expect they'll probably end up breaking down and giving them jets. But what if they did get all these things and they finally did decide to use those tanks and those jets to go into Russia? As crazy as Putin is, he's going to blame the U.S. for that because if we hadn't have done it, they wouldn't have been able to advance in. And who knows what kind of Pandora's box that would open up? Yep, uh, this is not this is not our war. The Europeans should be handling this. All right, yeah, that's correct, Chuck. Thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Now, what is this guy Rick calling for, Brian? What what is this? Uh, I think he is trying to get a hold of the sales department. Uh -huh. As you know, I am like the top call yeah, screener you are in like the market. Steel trap. Oh, I'm Nothing. telling you, people oftentimes try to call in and promote their own thing, but when you do that here, I have a steel trap that just stops you in your tracks, and you're not going to try to get a message across All on right. me. No, so it's safe uh -uh. for me to talk to this guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Rick, <laughs> welcome. Glad to have hey, you on the thanks, Gary. What's going Appreciate on? It. Hey, I just wanted to uh, call and then give your audience a head up about a heads up about a. Uh, an event we've got coming up. We, we we just started a new nonprofit called First Responders Support. We launched in November, and uh, we are having an event on February the 16th at the atrium on 10th Street uh, downtown, and uh, it's being hosted by Brian Treese and his wife, Mary Phillips, and uh, we are really excited about uh, raising money to help bring about relief support and uh, education in our community about our uh, first responders and this is an event that uh, everybody can get on board with that you can go to firstrespondersupport.net and you can find all different kinds of ways to uh, to get involved and uh, we think this is really going to be a uh, organization that's really going to you know really do some great things in our community yeah, good job there, Steel Trap. That sounds like a, a commercial. Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, if I would have put some, if I would have put some music behind it, it could have played on the radio and got on the air for free. But fortunately, it didn't go out. So that's you a good thing. Um, you know, and and you, Brian, you have this remarkable skill for writing commercials. Uh huh. Uh, so you would probably put something together that says. 
Uh, come and support first responders who support you. Uh, this yeah, but you'd have to have the date, you know. Well, it'd be February 16th. February 16th, yeah. yeah. What what time, for example? Well, yeah, he'd... he'd yeah. That door's open at 5.30, and uh -huh. it's going to be a dinner and dance. It's called You Have My Heart. Wow. Uh, dinner and dance. Food and will so be served. It's going to be food. There's going to be drink. There's going to be uh, uh, an auction, uh, silent. There's going to be a uh, raffle. Uh, just going to be a, a fun night. And like I said, our MC uh, is Brian Treese, and, and we're going to be able to recognize some, some heroes in our community and some of the founders that have really helped launch this uh, organization. So uh, it's really something that everybody ought to get involved with. And I, I might add, too, that we've got a really unique twist. In, in We've got celebrities and first responder leaders where you can go in and you can bid to sit at the table with these individuals. And we have folks like... Uh, um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe, we've got Moon Choi, uh, we've got uh, Caleb Rowden, we've got a local uh, a filmmaker, uh, Cosmo and Cat are are part of that uh, please, celebrity please, group. Please, please don't tell me Brandon Rathard is a part of this. <laughs> uh, no, no, he he, he you know he he wanted to get on board, but we just we just wouldn't let him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, he is be, yeah. he is a part of this, isn't he? Uh, he is not. He is not one of oh. the uh, uh, celebrities. We had, uh, like I said, Cosmo and Cat are are on board with us, and then we've got uh, a number of the uh, first responder leaders, like uh, Sheriff Dwayne Carey. We've got uh, Chief Jeff Jones. We've got uh, uh, the uh, new police, uh, fire chief uh, Clayton Farr. So you can go on there. The bid started at one hundred and twenty-five dollars. Uh, so it'd be kind of cool for you to select some of these individuals and say, "Hey, I want to." with those people uh that night and uh, and uh, you know have some good food and drink with them and so it's kind of a unique way to uh to to uh you know help raise money kind of above the normal ticket uh price which is a hundred dollars and you can buy a general ticket as well but uh there's also that way of kind of connecting uh with some of these other folks who have uh loaned us their name and likeness, if you will, uh, to be able to raise money for first responders. All right, man, uh, that would have been a great event yeah, had you yeah, chose to promote it in advance and well, let we, people we know can. about it. But uh, uh, you know what, yeah, Brian? That's, Brian, uh, Brian I, uh -huh. I, I'm going to make an exception here, okay? Uh, because Cosmo is part of this, and people and will Kat, be bidding. Yeah. yeah, Cosmo and Cat, and we know how challenging it is for you know them to get a crowd. That is true. Yeah. So maybe if I ask listeners. To bid, especially uh, for Cosmo and Cat, I mean, just to help them out, because by themselves, they could be sitting at the table alone. You don't want, yeah, you don't want to leave them hanging out there mm -hmm. and feeling yeah. feeling bad. So be, that would be a good way to do it. And I, I happen to know that Cosmo is a great supporter of uh, first responders, and he's got a great personality. He's a lot of fun to have dinner with. Uh, personally, I pay to have him sit at another table. <laughs> but but if, if you want to have some fun, uh, by all means, uh, go to firstresponder.net. Uh, firstrespondersupport.net, Gary. Firstrespondersupport.net. Yeah, okay. that's correct. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to be able to mention anything about it on this show. I'm not really sorry. Cosmo? You want Cosmo no, to be seating? No. Sitting alone with K uh, no, you. I'll transfer him to the sales department. Maybe they can make a commercial out. out All of right, firstrespondersupport.net. Yep. Rick, thanks for being yes. with us. Best of luck. Thank you, guys. Sure, appreciate right. it. All right, bye bye. bye. Uh, How did I do? Well, not particularly well. There, lightning. Uh, you no? didn't stop him at all.
Um, well, I tried, but you were insisting that we take the phone call. It was on hold, well, and I, I put you the message on it. Well, I thought you had screened it, and it sales. was sales. I, I, I want it another said producer. sales. I want another producer. That's it. <laughs> I've had it. I'm uh, harumph. I'm taking a break. And then I'll talk to Dave Rowland. Right here on the Gary Nolan Show. On the Zimmer Radio Network. It is 19 minutes after 11 o'clock. Glad to have you with us. Dave Rowland is with us. MoFreedom.org. Uh, and apparently uh, there's a ruling here that just came across. What is this? This is uh, on the Freedom uh, at Public Records? Well, so this is a, a story that the Missouri Independent just published in the last half hour about a ruling on public records uh, from Cole County that apparently was handed down last week. Um, what happened is, you may recall, Gary, back um, several years ago, there was an effort to have cameras recording the proceedings of various legislative committees. Uh, in other words, people wanted to bring their own uh, cell phone cameras or, or other kinds of cameras to record the statements that were being made in these legislative committees, and the the legislature shut it down. They said, "Nope, we're we're only going to allow recording on our own cameras, uh, and if our cameras don't happen to be working or or available, then you're just out of luck." Uh, well, the Sunshine Law says that citizens not only have the right to attend public meetings, but also to record those public meetings. And so uh, there was a lawsuit that was filed under the Sunshine Law saying we should be allowed to record these legislative committee meetings. The court said no. The court said that because the article of the state constitution that deals with the legislature allows the houses of the legislature to make their own rules that means if they want to act contrary to the sunshine law they can't the constitution empowers each house of the legislature to defy transparency by adopting rules so that decision was handed down in 2016 immediately there was an initiative petition that got on the ballot and that Missourians adopted that said, nope, the legislature is subject to the same transparency laws as everybody else. And it, it specified legislative documents, including all correspondence with uh, a, a legislative official's office, are public records. And they're subject to the same general laws that apply to everybody. Well, the Missouri House of Representatives adopted a new rule this year that says that they have to turn over certain uh, certain records that are held by these legislative offices. And another lawsuit got filed. And they said, look, we just passed an amendment about this. You have to turn over these records. You can exempt them if you pass a statute that creates an exemption, but you can't just make a rule that, that says, we exempt ourselves from, from transparency. Judge Beatum in Cole County, a judge that I like, got this one wrong. Um, he said, effectively, the constitutional amendment doesn't change anything. That um, the legislature, the different houses of the legislature, can indeed pass their own rules uh, that say that they don't have to produce records 
under the Sunshine Law. Uh, I, I think this is, frankly, a terrible decision. Um, and it, it gets to the problem that we've discussed before, Gary. We, we talked about after Missourians adopted Amendment 5, that I designed to give the state the strongest constitutional protections for the right to keep and bear arms, uh, when it got in front of the Missouri courts, they literally said it worked no substantive change in state law. Well, that's not how constitutional amendments are supposed to work. Courts are supposed to go out of their way to figure out what did this amendment change? They are not supposed to just throw up their hands and say, well, I don't think it changed anything at all. Um, and, and that's what happened in this case. You know, the, the people acted in a very specific way to make sure that uh, they could hold even the legislature and the individual legislators accountable and transparent to the people. And, um, and Judge Beatham's ruling has basically nullified the impact of that amendment. So I assume that there is uh, an appeal pending or that we'll uh, hear about soon. So this is being handled by my friend Mark Pedroli, an attorney over in St. Louis. I would expect that he's going to appeal it. I haven't spoken to him about it directly. I would expect that he's going to appeal it. And I think that, that if and when he does, he'll have significant support. Um, I know the Freedom Center of Missouri uh, will file an amicus brief in support of his position. I would guess the ACLU of Missouri would also do the same, um, you know, because this is a big deal. Uh, it, it is a big deal, not just for the transparency aspect of it. It's a big deal for the constitutional interpretation aspect of it. We simply cannot um, allow judges to disregard the express will of the people when they amend their fundamental document. If, if judges can ignore constitutional amendments, then our system is no longer working. And that's why it's so important that the courts get this case right. Well, <clears throat> we'll follow it, and uh, you'll keep a surprise. You'll, you'll, it, this is your job. I'm assigning this task to you. I accept the homework, Gary. <laughs> okay. Uh, you got a whole bunch of other uh, stories to cover here. You say some people just never learn. I've spoken to a couple of people who are suggesting that absentee ballot fraud is afoot once again in St. Louis City. What? It's true, Gary. Well, yeah, you know, we were we remember talking in 2016 about how the Freedom Center exposed uh this scheme by the Hubbard family uh who basically ran North St. Louis for about 3 decades uh wherein they would farm absentee ballots. They would go to retirement homes or assisted living facilities and they would ask the residents, hey, why don't you sign this uh, and, and we'll get you an absentee ballot. And then when the absentee ballots arrived, they would come back around. And they'd say, well, here, why don't you let us help you fill this out? And that's how they would get this flood of absentee ballots in favor of the Hubbard family member who was on the who was who was in a campaign, um, and that's how they ended up winning a number of these political races uh, over the span of years. We exposed this in association with our friends at the Post Dispatch in St. Louis, um, and then we won a fantastic victory in the Missouri Court of Appeals, upholding the enforcement of Missouri's election laws and the limits on absentee ballots. So the legislature has since gone back and they've clarified the laws. And one of the most important things that they did is they said, by the way, it's illegal to solicit somebody 
to obtain an absentee ballot. In other words, you're not allowed to go and say, hey, why don't you ask for an absentee ballot? But that's exactly what's been happening. I, I got a phone call yesterday from one of my friends in the St. Louis area. He put me on the line with a, a resident of a assisted living facility. And sure enough, uh, these political workers were coming through the facility. They were going door to door, trying to get people to sign a document that would allow the uh, campaign workers to apply for absentee ballots, all of which is totally illegal. It's illegal for them to solicit uh, for absentee ballots. It's illegal for them to apply for the absentee ballots on behalf of the voters. The voters have to apply for them themselves or their legal guardian or a close relative uh, has to go in person down to the um, election board's office to apply for these absentee ballots. And that is clearly not what's happening. And apparently there are scores of these applications that are being sent out on behalf of residents illegally. So um, we're on top of it. We're going to make sure that uh, Missouri's election laws are enforced properly and that we don't have absentee ballot fraud in any more races, especially in St. Louis, where it's been so prevalent before. You know, it, it just it's frustrating uh, how tenaciously cheaters uh, go after what they want. Um, yeah. Well, and there's there's an additional problem, if I could toss it in. Um, although the, the statute, as amended, makes it illegal to do these things, um, there's no private mechanism to enforce it. So, in other words, I can't file a suit against the offenders on behalf of a candidate. We have to wait and see if the local prosecuting authorities are willing to act. And, Gary, who's the prosecuting attorney in St. Louis City? Oh. Ken Gardner? Yeah. Ken Gardner? A little problem and there. My experience with Kim Gardner is that uh, she's not eager to engage in any prosecutions. Um, and and I, I would be concerned that maybe she won't make prosecuting these violations a priority either. Well, you know, that might hurt her in this case. It might. And and so you might could. I don't you know. might you might get some ground there I don't know but it 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 um, it's the sort of thing that uh, I don't care what persuasion you are politically you find it offensive so I yeah you, you, absolutely and this is this is not a partisan issue at all um, you know this is basically Democrat on Democrat violence um, when it comes to the way that these um, abuses are taking place in St Louis. And and so um, it, it's just crucial that we make sure that our election laws are being enforced properly. And so we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that that happens here. All right. Uh, we're up against the clock. We've got to take a quick break. But when we come back, apparently the U.S. District Court for uh, the Eastern District of California has made a ruling that I think you'll find fascinating. Dave is going to uh, highlight you on that, but wait, there is more. Uh, we talked about a case earlier this morning, a guy in Louisiana running around with the um, obscenity uh, about Joe Biden. Uh, we'll talk about the legal aspects of that. Also, Alec Baldwin's problems. All that coming up in the next 30 on The Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. 
This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 11.35, and Dave Rowland is with us, MoFreedom.org. And uh, yesterday, the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of California had a ruling about uh, some regulations. Do tell, Dave. I'm very excited about this one, Gary. So the Institute for Justice has been working for nearly 30 years to um, to try and restore the freedom to earn a living in an ordinary profession uh, and also to ensure the freedom of speech, particularly when it comes to providing advice to other people. Um, Right now, occupational licensing laws put severe restrictions on a lot of people's ability to earn a living, and they also, um, in dramatic ways, restrict the freedom of speech. So this case in California is very important because it deals with people whose entire job is providing advice about funerals. So uh, they take a very traditional perspective on end-of-life care, and they encourage home funerals instead of going to a funeral establishment and paying thousands upon thousands of dollars for expensive caskets and services. They say, you know what? Do this the way that people did it for millennia. Take care of your family members at home. Bury them at home. We will help you. We'll coach you through that process. Um, And so it's strangely an innovative approach um, in that it focuses on traditional ways of -of end-of-life care and burial as opposed to the more newfangled ones. Well, you know who doesn't like this, Gary? The funeral funeral directors. Yeah, and the funeral homes because it cuts in on the action. And so um, the funeral industry went after this business that provides this end-of-life advice and care and uh, they said what you're doing is is acting as a funeral establishment without a license. You've got to get a license or you've got to shut your business down. And this decision yesterday, um, it was very thoughtful. Uh, Many times, Gary, you get courts that just want to get cases off their dockets. And so they decide everything in favor of one party or everything in favor of the other party. Um, And they basically just trust that things will all come out in the wash if it gets appealed. This judge was very thoughtful, and she ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, the end-of-life care people, uh, on a couple of issues, and then said there were a few more issues that needed to go to trial. So it wasn't a total victory, but it was a victory in some very important ways. Um, The court said, yes, in fact, you do have a First Amendment right to provide people advice even if you're being compensated for it. Um, And the government doesn't get to intrude onto that. But also, if you're going to restrict somebody's ability to to earn a living, there has to be at least a rational justification for it. Now, you and I have talked before about the rational basis test and the way it gets used and abused. Um, My constitutional law professor at Vanderbilt said basically there were two versions of the rational basis test. There was the real one that had some substance to it, and then what he referred to as the oh, what the hell version of the rational basis test, where essentially anything goes. The the court's not going to seriously consider any challenge to what the government wants to do. In California and the Ninth Circuit in federal courts, they have started to apply the serious version of the rational basis test. 
And that is a huge step in the right direction. Um, and the court took a look at this and said, well, look, if we apply the law the way the funeral establishments are saying it's supposed to be applied, these people would have to have a bricks and mortar building and it would have to have a set amount of space and a set number of rooms to embalm dead bodies and to leave them lying in state. But that's not what these people do. They don't want to have a bricks and mortar space. They never intend to have anybody lying in state at their establishment because their whole focus is home burials. And so if we complied with the law, they would have to obtain this building and maintain the space, all of which would then be kept empty because they don't use it. They don't do this. And that's irrational. It makes no sense. It has no connection to the public health or safety whatsoever. Therefore, it's unconstitutional. So this is exactly the kind of logic that we need courts applying, even in these rational basis tests, uh, these rational basis cases. And um, this judge really seems to have knocked it out of the park in terms of understanding the way rational basis is supposed to be applied and then applying it in this case. So um, hopefully it's just a further indication that courts are slowly but surely moving in the right direction, both in terms of free speech and in terms of protecting the constitutional right to earn a living in uh, a common occupation. Well, that certainly strikes me as a great idea. I hate occupational licensing. Uh, but while we're talking about uh, people dying, uh, do you know what happens if you don't pay your exorcist? What does happen, Gary? Uh, you get repossessed. Oh. oh, I know. I, I'm sorry. I I, let me apologize to everybody. <clears throat> uh, let me get uh, something. We, we have a uh, fine that's uh, payable for bad jokes. Well, I'll be collecting that at the end of the program. You'd, you'd have to pay every day. <laughs> let me uh, let me get Tom on the line here because Tom apparently has uh, heard something and he wants to comment on it. Tom, welcome. Thank you, Gary. Uh, your your uh, guest had mentioned a case in St. Louis, um, oh, eight, ten years ago, with the Hubbard family. I just wanted to mention that uh, the outcome of that, is this the one that uh, Rex Burleson heard? Yes, that's the case. Well, uh, the outcome of that, as you know, was that he issued, uh, basically threw the the results out and had to have uh, another... Uh, election and uh, the plaintiff in that case ended up winning the election. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to say yeah, here is, slide. yeah, and and there's some hope uh, as as long as uh, uh, we're uh, strong enough and willing enough to make sure that the law is carried out properly. Okay, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and and that's that's what we did in that case to do again here. Um, it's just always better if we can get the problems fixed on the front side of the election as opposed to the back side. Because um, once the election is taking place, it's actually an incredibly steep hill to climb to prove what you need to prove to get a special election called. Um, and that, Gary, that's something that we've talked about for the last couple of years um, in regard to people's concerns about the legitimacy of elections. It is extraordinarily difficult to show the evidence that's necessary to have an election overturned. Um, we were able to do it before, uh, 
but we can't guarantee that we would be able to but going forward. We would much rather be able to, to beat it on the front side and cut the shenanigans, uh, nip them in the bud, shall we say. Well, we can only hope. Uh, you know, there is so much uh, doubt about elections, and I think that is that's a, a very dangerous situation for Americans to be in. If you can't trust your elections, uh, I mean, that is just kind of the root of the republic. Uh, is that it is? Yeah. Well, and, and if I could follow up, Gary, uh, I want to remind listeners that we are currently working on this, not just in terms of election fraud um, in St. Louis, but we are working to make sure that citizens have the right to review election records after an election has taken place. We've got this case down in Springfield where a citizen asked for uh, asked to review cast vote records related to the 2020 election, and the Green County clerk sued her so that uh, he would not have to produce these records. We are fighting for the right of all Missourians to review these records. As long as it's not revealing how any person voted, we think that they should be open records that citizens can then review because that's how we restore confidence in the integrity of our elections. We allow transparency and accountability provided by the citizens. We don't rely on other people's word. We allow citizens to see for themselves how these elections were conducted. Um, we are up against the clock, but she was jailed for a basic journalism. A federal court isn't sure if that's unconstitutional. How can that be? Yeah, Dave Rowland will explain that next on The Gary Nolan Show. It is 11.50, and Dave Rowland is with us. Mo Freedom. Uh, Reason Magazine writes, she was jailed for basic journalism. A federal court isn't sure that's unconstitutional. How can that be, Dave? Well, you know, um, this this case involves uh, a young woman who is kind of one of the new wave of journalists where she's not necessarily tied into an established media organization she has her own news blog that currently has 200,000 followers and what she did is she contacted uh, some law enforcement officials to ask questions about uh, matters of public interest and then when she published a story based on the information that she got they arrested her and charged her with violating a law that basically makes it illegal to use non-public information, what they consider non-public information um, that you obtained for the purpose of some personal gain. And so they're saying that because occasionally some of her readers take her out for a lunch or donate a little bit of money for her work as a journalist, that she was using this unpublished or non-public information for her own personal gain. Now, she won the first round of this in front of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. You know, we've talked about how the first time you go up in front of a Court of Appeals, you've got a three-judge panel, but then if somehow the result that you get from the panel is controversial, the entire en banc circuit may review that result. That's exactly what happened. She won in front of the three-judge panel, but the government asked 
the full panel of Fifth Circuit judges to review it, and that's exactly what they did. They had oral arguments, I believe, yesterday uh, in this case, and it is not clear how it's going to turn out. Now, let me point out, Gary, if a circuit court grants en banc review of a three-judge panel decision, it usually suggests that there is significant discomfort with the result that the, th- that the panel reached. Um, it doesn't always mean that the en banc panel will overturn the prior decision, but it means somebody, and usually several somebodies, um, among the other judges are not happy with the outcome. So at the oral arguments yesterday, there was some really tough questioning. And one of the questions, one of the biggest issues is not so much whether or not it was constitutional for them to arrest her. I think it's pretty clear it was not constitutional. Part of the question is qualified immunity. Is it so obviously unconstitutional that um, the officer who made the arrest should be stripped of qualified immunity? Um, It's hard to tell how this is going to come out. I think that there is a reasonable chance that the en banc panel affirms the prior decision and they say no qualified immunity for this officer. Clearly, you have a First Amendment right to ask questions and then share the answers that you get. Um, This, by the way, is another point that is at issue with the Freedom Center's case with Katie Gatewood in O'Fallon. She got impeached just because she was asking questions about public officials. So um, clearly we believe the First Amendment protects this, but we'll have to see what the Fifth Circuit does uh, if they end up disagreeing with the three-judge panel's ruling. That then tees up this question for the U.S. Supreme Court. When you have significant disagreement disagreement either within uh, a court of appeals or among two different, two or more, different courts of appeals, that's when the U.S. Supreme Court kind of sees a flag go up saying this is an issue that we may need to address and clarify. So especially if we get a decision from the Eighth Circuit um, that you know goes one way or the other regarding a citizen's right to ask for public information, to obtain public information, um, then maybe it's an issue that, that gets in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, somebody has to have the final say, and it's them. Um, yes. we're, we're fast running out of time. I talked about this uh, earlier this morning uh, about the guy who is uh, suing because he's driving around with a truck that says F, and he has the whole word, Joe Biden. Um, does he, in your opinion, have the right to have that word on his truck in bold letters? Absolutely. Unquestionably, the city is in for a hurting. So... This right was firmly established more than 50 years ago, Gary. Uh, Back during the Vietnam War, there was a guy who decided he was going to walk around his town wearing a jacket that had the words F the draft on it, only it wasn't F. And uh, he got arrested for breaching the peace or uh, obscenity. And the U.S. Supreme Court said in 1971... This is protected speech, and whether or not people find it offensive or they're made uncomfortable by it, words make a difference, and sometimes 
Only certain words truly encapsulate how the speaker feels about it's not the same. In other words, let's go Brandon may be understood as meaning the same thing as what these flags say, but it's not the same as actually using the words. And the U.S. Supreme Court says you're allowed to use the words. Let me move on to something you just said, and I did this earlier this morning, too, uh, about obscenity. Where in the Constitution does the government have the right to rule on obscenity? Nowhere. So I know it's not there. Yeah. So, you know, some people call uh, they have what they call living art where they act something out in front of people or pose for people and uh, and and they call it living art. So what if I'm standing in my front yard stark naked? Can the government come after me for obscenity? Um it 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 likely could. So courts have made a distinction between when you are using actual words and when you are engaged in expressive conduct. Um, this was an issue in our case about feeding the homeless. Um, it was expressive conduct, not necessarily using words. And the bar is lower for constitutional protection when we're not dealing with the content of the words involved. So somebody naked in the yard, even if they say, well, what I'm doing is expressive conduct, um, the government has more leeway to regulate that. But did they create that leeway out of whole cloth? Did the, the courts created that leeway. Um, the courts were trying to interpret, you know, what does speech mean? Does speech include expressive conduct or does it not? Um, I think they correctly concluded that it does, but they also hedged their bets by saying, uh, even though this is technically expression and protected, we're still going to give the government a lot of flexibility in enforcing laws um, where there's no actual words involved. I keep thinking of the Supreme Court, uh, the justice, I, I think it was a Supreme Court justice who said, I can't define uh, pornography, but I'd know, but I know when, it when I, I see it. You see it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I think they've invented that out of whole cloth. I really do. All right. We have uh, run out of time, and that's a shame because uh, we got Alec Baldwin and uh, the uh, Fox News case, but there just isn't enough time. Dave Rowland keeps coming to the table with so many great stories. Dave, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Gary. MoFreedom.org slash donate. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Grandbaby. Honey, I'm coming home.